Hey folks, Zach Osterman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Thursday, November twenty, November 22nd. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. That's what I was going for. This is Mind Your Banners, uh, albeit not our usual fare. Um, if you are listening to this, then I'm guessing you likely know at this point, uh, Bob Knight passed away, Indiana's longtime and legendary coach. Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday early, I guess the announcement came early Wednesday evening. Uh, he was 83. We've obviously been covering that um, pretty extensively at IndyStar.com and IndyStar.com slash sports. And we wanted to bring in an old friend who, Chronic, unfortunately, we haven't had you on the podcast in well, too long, I would say. Um, but just to talk about... Bob Knight's legacy, uh, it was complex. It's, it is complex. It's layered. Um, as layered as I, I suspect the man himself. I, I never met him, obviously. I came to Indiana after he departed. But um, first of all, welcome back. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be back. Wishes under different circumstances. But uh, it's one of those where you kind of have to at this point. If um, you know, if you have even one, one toe in the water of basketball in this state, um, there's no getting around the fact that uh, the game just lost a Titan uh, yesterday. Uh, arguably the the most recognizable figure ever associated with the university. Um, I think at one point that was the, the most recognized or associated figure with the state of Indiana as a whole. Uh, worldwide was Bob Knight. And uh, this his passing was something that was often talked about. Um, you know, his condition was, was fairly well known. Uh, you know, the reason that, that he and his wife came back to Bloomington to be in a, uh, a more familiar, comfortable setting uh, for him to spend the, the remainder of his days. And, uh, you know, it's I, I fully expected this a couple of months ago from, from some of the reports I was hearing. Um, and then you got the sense even at Hoosier Hysteria uh, when, when Mike Woodson had asked for prayers for Coach and his family uh, with tears in his eyes, uh, y- you knew that this day would soon come. Uh, and here we are. So, uh, glad to be here talking about it with you, man. Um, I, I don't want to ignore, nor do I want to, this to, to fully rehash all the good and the bad. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, um, a lot of people I, I suspect are, are pretty much settled on kind of where they are with Bob Knight. Um, and I understand that. And, um, you know, he, ultimately um, wanted to and did live out um, his last years in relative peace and quiet in Bloomington. Um, you'd actually, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd run into somebody who, oh, I saw Bob Knight at the driving range or he was at my son's Smithville Scrappers game or, you know, whatever. Um, that was kind of the extent of sort of his public persona in, in his, his final years. But what I, I guess I wanted to talk about with you, especially as someone who grew up in the state, something as many people know I did not um, was something that you kind of alluded to there um, which was the the outsized nature of knights not just his persona though you know anyone who who met him who spent any time around him would talk about what a sort of you know physically sort of dominating presence he had he was very tall he was very broad he obviously had a very strong personality um but like the i guess the cultural force that he had i don't think just because all these sorts of things can get lost to time i don't think people appreciate how culturally uh 
how I, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. The extent to which, culturally speaking, he transcended not just college basketball or basketball, but sports. Mm-hmm. I think there was a time in this country, a period of probably 10 to 15 years, where the average American, and I don't mean sports fan, I mean just the average American on the street who might know something about sports, might know something about college basketball, might not care at all, would recognize Bob Knight before they'd recognize the vice president, before they'd recognize whoever might be number one on the billboard chart that week. He had that kind of um, cultural relevance. And I, I suspect he didn't, you know, I don't, I don't think that was ever by design from him. I think that was just the, the you know, the, the, the nature and force of who he was. Um, but I think it's, it's been lost to time a little bit, you know, for better or worse, however you felt about Bob Knight. And I think plenty of people... If you if you'd done that sort of man on the street survey, probably money, plenty of people would have had negative opinions of him, but they would have known who he was in a way that I can't think of certainly many college basketball coaches, frankly, many basketball coaches in general um, in the modern history of the sport that that would apply to, that that would be true of. I think the the most commonly used comparison is probably Woody Hayes um, in, in the sporting world. Um, you know, just tremendously successful and brilliant tactician, um, you know, known for, uh, for their emotion, for their passion, sometimes their anger. Um, you know, it was obviously the undoing of, uh, of Woody's career. Um, but I, I don't know that there's really any parallel. I mean, we're talking about, um, one of the Mount Rushmore figures in college basketball. You know, I would argue there's probably... Two absolute certain spots, maybe three with Shusevsky. Um The fourth we can debate uh, quite spiritedly. Uh, but Bob Knight is firmly etched on that monument of the greatest coaches of the game's ever known. And, you know, on top of that, uh, it's not just the basketball, it's it's the persona, um, the, the embrace uh, of discipline uh, as, as a leader. Um, you know, to this day, man, you saw me walk into your house just moments ago and, you know, I'm a grown man and I still will not leave the house when it's cold outside without a sock cap on because of Bob Knight, because, you know, growing up in my first organized team, uh, we would run suicides if we ever caught outside, uh, in cold weather without cold weather gear on. Because at the end of the day, we had to understand that as members of the team, whether you're the best player or the last guy on the bench, and I was probably closer to the latter than the former, um, we all had an obligation, a duty to the team to be prepared. And, um, you know, if it was something that we could we could control and we chose not to and it negatively impacted the team, um, that was selfish. And that was, that was behavior to be not only discouraged but punished. Uh, we would be disciplined for that. And, you know, even as a grown man, I still recognize the many teams that I serve and the importance that I'm, I'm able to do my best when they need me. And I still wear a hat because of the suicides that my uh, boys club basketball coach used to make us run because that's what he learned from Bob Knight, the, uh, the will to prepare and the, uh, the importance of team and how everybody contributes to it in their own ways. Uh, but most importantly, the preparation that it takes to put yourself in the position to succeed. And that's, that's a basketball lesson. That's a sports lesson, but it's a life lesson. And like so many of Bob Knight's teachings, that's what it was all about. That's what it was always about. 
and for all the, um, you know, for all the, the stigmas that have been attached to his career and his personality over the years, um, oftentimes it gets lost that, um, you know, the, the basketball lessons were really life lessons and, you know, for all the wins, the 902 wins, all the, the, the conference and national championships, um, you know, it was never about that as much as it was putting young men in a better position to su- succeed in life. And that's probably, I, I would imagine, if you ask any of his former players, his family members, uh, his greatest accomplishment were all the men that he helped develop. Um, you know, probably one of the most loyal coaches to his players. If you did four years for Bob Knight, you were, uh, you were going to get a good job, uh, a high-paying job, and you were going to have the best reference that any employer could ever uh, receive for the lifetime of your loyalty to coach. And that's that's what it was always about. And uh, it's... Um, it's profound to me, even, you know, sitting here, we've known this was coming and it's still, uh, it leaves you speechless almost trying to really articulate how, how mag- just monumental of an impact, uh, he had on so, so many people across the state, across the country and, you know, likely across the globe. Again, that's sort of what I come back to. Like I've, I've been trying to think of like, um, and again, I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not asking people to feel a certain way about Bob Knight. Like his legacy is what it is. And it's, it's for you, whoever you are, wherever you are to have your own opinion about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I'm going to write something about this today among probably many other things I'm going to write. Um, I have been trying since last night to, to think about, you know, comparable sports figures and, I don't think you can I don't think that you can um necessarily find a, a ton of analogs in basketball coaching maybe even in coaching. You know, you brought up Woody Hayes. I think Mike Shashevsky has at least some and not just because he played for Knight, coached with Knight army guy. Well, but his success at Duke, again, I think there was a time at which Mike Shashevsky was a, a very recognizable figure just beyond the confines of, oh, you know about college basketball or you know about basketball. Anyone who's, for example, seen the, the show The Bear, which is a wonderful show. It's on Hulu, I think. Um, I mean, I, I promise they don't sponsor us. It would be nice if they did. Um, there's it, it, One of his books is like woven into the the whole sort of like thread of, of, of the storyline of the, the show. And it, it it kind of speaks to that same sort of idea. Like there's a there's a scene in the bear where Oliver Platt is explaining to another character the whole Steve Bartman moment. And I remember sort of listening to that and thinking, does this really need to be explained? And then I realized it's been 20 years since that happened. But then you also have this this Mike Shashevsky thread within it that almost kind of speaks to the idea that even the show's writers felt they needed to explain the Steve Bartman thing. Like what happened with Bartman and the Cubs in the, the 2003 NLCS, but they didn't need to explain Mike Shashevsky. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was an there was an assumed sort of familiarity, and then the character becomes more familiar with them and so forth. Bob Knight had that, and maybe even more. Again, whatever you felt about him, I mean, Tiger Woods. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to think of, I mean, Tom Brady to some extent, and I know these are athletes, Vince Lombardi as a coach. I mean, 
not just a great coach and not just very sort of culturally important when and where he was. You know, Bill Self will probably be that way in Kansas when whenever he retires, whenever, you know, whenever his time is up. Uh, Mark Few at Gonzaga, same thing. Newt Rockney. Well, Newt Rockney was, was probably kind of the the first coach that had this sort of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And again, when I say celebrity, I, I don't think it was something Knight actively courted very much. Now, he was a proud man, and people could t- tell you about his ego and all those different things. It's it's not like he tried to sort of shy away from the idea of, of you know, Bob Knight. But I don't think he ever wanted this sort of larger cultural legacy I think he just wanted to win basketball games and a lot of and and his his, the force of his personality and and everything around him built all that out around him but again it it, like with all respect like I'm thinking of some of his his coaching peers I don't think Dean Smith had this I don't think Roy Williams had this I don't think Larry Brown had this um, you know, I don't think for all the talent of, of the, you know, the, and there were some great coaches in the Big Ten in the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. Judd Heathcote, Lou Henson, Gene Keedy, you know, uh, I mean, guys that won a ton of games, guys that won national titles. I don't, I don't know that any of them had this. It, it, it rose above the sport, mm-hmm. and it rose in some ways, frankly, above sports. There was like if. This is only sort of one cultural signpost, I guess. But I, I was thinking about this last night, and one way I sort of thought about it was if Bob Knight made a, a, a cameo appearance in a Saturday Night Live sketch. He wasn't the host, but he just turned up, you know, the way that sometimes that happens in, in Saturday Night Live sketches. You wouldn't need to explain to the majority of people who he was, particularly if he was wearing the red sweater and the slacks and the, yeah. you know, um, the majority of people would have known at least roughly speaking that's the that's Bob Knight or that's the basketball coach at Indiana or that's the basketball coach with the temper mm-hmm. however they would have known him um if you'd gone to another country you know and you you'd asked other um you know and you'd ask people do you know anything about american college basketball you'd get a lot more bob knight than you would john thompson or jim Beheim. and this is no disrespect to those coaches it's just he had a a a persona. He had a you know. I mean, his his shadow was longer and larger than, frankly, his sport. Yeah. At at his peak, and then there's obviously also, and again, I'm not telling anybody what to think about uh, about you know Bob Knight and whether you like him, you dislike him. But there's also what he did for basketball, the way he advanced the motion offense. Um, the I mean. People always talk about, oh, the you know, every high school in this state ran man-to-man defense and motion offense, but like it went beyond the state. You know, I mean, his motion offense principles helped define 15, 20 years of basketball. And some of it, I mean, and, and even the stuff I know we sort of say, oh, motion is, is sort of an outdated concept now, but there's still there's concepts in modern basketball that date back to a lot of what Bob Knight and and eventually, you know, beyond him other coaches that picked it up and ran with it was doing offensively. Um, and, and I'm kind of just spilling out thoughts here, forgive me. But the other thing that strikes me too, is that there's always this perception that, Oh, you know, Bob Knight did it with a bunch of, 
you know, players who are less talented. I don't think that's true. But Albert I think Cheney would beg to differ. Yeah, I mean, like, just I mean, yeah. I you know, Quinn Buckner would one beg of the to one differ. of the greatest point guards Scott in May. basketball history played yeah. for Bob Knight. But you also can't separate what Bob Knight did to make those players better, and how many Bob Knight players played 10, 12, you know, fourteen years in the NBA. But that's in part because of their work with Bob Knight and how good he was at, at getting the best out of, out of players and, you know, asking a lot of them, but also I think understanding in, in key moments what he could and what he couldn't ask of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was always the, the Knight is, is, was famous for this phrase when they get to the NCAA tournament and tells players, just get me to the final four and I'll win us a national title. Um, he had, I mean, his cultural importance extended well beyond basketball, and his importance to the sport of basketball extended well beyond winning a lot of games in Indiana. I, I, I again, I'm still trying to come up with words here, uh, which wasn't easy after the night I had last night, but um, uh, on Kirkwood with some friends talking about these very things. Um, it, it's... It's wild to me sitting here now, uh, myself a parent of a couple of teenagers, uh, Bloomington kids, cutters through and through, um, and you know, and talking to them last night and, and sharing with them that, that Bob Knight had died, and then just seeing how they process that and, and the, the, the perspective that they bring to it, having never once seen him coach a game, um, you know, we... we they, we've watched some tapes. Galen Clavio has done a phenomenal job over the years of uh, digitizing VHS records. I was just talking last night. There's some really, really cool ones coming as well. Um, but, you know, they they can't even hardly grasp that media because it's so old and grainy. And, it you know, it's like when we were kids watching black and white shows with your grandparents. And it was just like, you know, you can tell that the lights are on, but nobody's home. Because they just can't even connect with that that era. Um, because it, and and it's not. I don't think it's a generational thing. It just seems far away. I mean, like it just you know. It's it's. I mean, again, I, I go back to that, that, and it's kind of an odd reference, but that thing with the bear, like when when Oliver Platt is sitting there and explaining the Bartman play, I think, what? Well, why is this necessary? Because I have visceral memories of this. But then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, it's been 20 years since this happened. Yeah. It, you know, like a, a someone who's in college may not have even been born. So, like, you'd have to explain to them. And, by the way, they, they wouldn't really remember very, you know, they, they might remember somewhat a time when the Cubs hadn't won the World Series. But you'd have to go back and explain to them, like, what this meant and what it was, you know, what this was at this time. Like, it, it's just hard to connect to. And, actually, you know, one of the many things I would argue was a strength of Knights Beyond Basketball was his ability to do this. Mm-hmm. It's hard for most people to connect to times and places that they can't you know, hold in the hands of their own memory. The one other thing just to talk about, I guess, is, is his is his impact on the state. I, I don't I don't want that to be minimized by everything else we've sort of said. Um, and this was what I sort of tried to, to get at with what I wrote last night. Um, just, you know, that that period in time, in particular the 70s, the 80s, was hard on Indiana as a state in some ways. Um you know, the steel industry took some real body blows. The auto industry. In that time, the auto industry, which, of course, those two 
you know, kind of mm-hmm. intertwined in some ways. There was the 1980s farm crisis. And, you know, it, it, I think it, I don't say this flippantly. All you have to do is kind of fire up a John Mellencamp album from about 1987. And you'll understand like what people were going through then like that. It's really easy to hear some of those songs and, and, think that they're catchy and they sound good when you're driving on a warm day with the window down but like listen to what he's actually saying and you'll get a sense for what people in the state were going through i make um, a cameo in several of those videos from the scarecrow album by the way i know you've told me but that's not this isn't this isn't about you Stop. this is about indiana no um yeah, I, I'm, I'm joking around bob knight wasn't the only person who did this mm-hmm. to be clear gene keaty did this you know, I think you could probably argue Lou Holtz in a way. John Collier did, did this. this. Yeah, yeah. The Hanover. Um, um, but Knight was as sort of out in front of it as as anyone um, in just sort of giving the state, you know, something intrinsic to its cultural identity that it could hang on to. Um, at a time when it probably felt in some ways like the world was moving too fast in, in other directions. Um, there was sort of this, you know, it was winning basketball. It was basketball that I think people in the state of Indiana, you know, probably recognized if you understand what I'm saying. Now, Mm -hmm. listen, you know, if you're winning, you're winning and, and anyone will just be happy. You're winning as long as you're not, you know, burying the bodies to do it. Um, but, you know, it it, it was a, a place in time when I would argue Indiana needed what not just Bob Knight, but, you know, prominently among whatever group of people Bob Knight was able to give the state. And I think that is, you know, you'll always hear the talk about all the coaches that run motion offense and man to man and, you know, and, 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 the jokes about Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec and all those different kinds of things. But I think there is, like I said, I, I, I think that the most fundamental thing, as someone who did not grow up in Indiana, um, but has lived here a long time, and so can, I, I would like to think, can sort of straddle a line between an outsider's perspective and also so you know the understanding of someone who has lived about as much of my life in this state as I lived out of it before I moved here for college. Um it has always felt to me like the state needed Bob Knight at the time that he delivered in particular, you know, his, you know, the best of, of what, of his work at Indiana, um, you know, culturally and, um, you know, I mean, I mean, even to the extent that like you you think about like the economic impact of, of Indiana basketball on South and central Indiana, it was, Probably not unsubstantial. I don't know if we could, you know, I don't know who would commission that study. And obviously we were a lot less refined in the 70s and 80s and thinking about, you know, economic impact studies and things like that. But um, he was very important to the state and not just, you know, not just in the ways that, um, not not just in the simplest ways, I guess. I'll tell you, never, never more so in my entire life did I ever feel more seen as a uh, a preteen growing up in Indiana than that exact area you reference. When Scarecrow's on the radio and it's, you know, the local boy singing a ditty about the farms. I, I live on a farm that's referenced in that song. Um, call my old friend Shepman up. I live at the Shepman farm, one of them. There's a lot of Shepmans. Um, 
Damon Bailey playing in your middle school gym. Uh, Hoosiers premiering in theaters. People wore tuxedos to the Seymour movie theater for that, that premiere. Um, signed balls from the Milan team and whatnot. And the season on the brink and the, the title that, that followed soon thereafter. And just the culmination of all those things, Indiana, and uh, to be a young boy on a travel team, um, it didn't take much for you to stay out in the driveway or the barn or the park or whatever hoop you could get some run at, uh, you know, well after the streetlights had come on because that was that was the apex of Indiana living at that time for me. And it was just what everyone you knew was doing and what we talked about and what we, we, you know, we fixated on. And it was that common thread, you know, Terry Morin's team growing up there, um, you know, one of the largest high school gyms in the world in a town of 14,000 people. And in the mid eighties, seeing that gym filled to the rafters to watch women's basketball, which, you know, for all the ascendancy of, of the game and its prominence here in, in recent years, uh, that was unheard of back then. But that's just what Hoosiers did, you know, waiting uh, the better part of a half hour to turn off of our county road to get on to US 50 to go catch the sectionals or the regionals um, over there in Barney Scott Gym uh, because the endless stream of cars traveling eastbound from, from Bedford, North Lawrence. Uh, it, it literally, there was no break. It was just a continuous line. And that was, uh, as, as phenomenal, um, as it was, it was just the expectation. It was the normal because that's all you ever knew because there was nothing else that, you know, short of a couple afternoons in May up in Speedway, there was nothing that brought us together, um, like the game of basketball did and you know, the smallest communities growing up that hadn't had a high school in 50 years. And you know, every couple of years, somebody's still going to go out and paint that sectional champ sign from 1948. Uh, because that was the year they beat, you know, the bigger school across the County and, and just the pride that that elicited and, uh, the way it endured and it, it really gave us our identities and that was the shared identity that, that we all got to latch on to was, you know, playing basketball the right way, uh, the motion, the man, and all of the like. Um, and that was all largely in part because it was succeeding on a national stage uh, under the public eye, you know, with, uh, with media broadcasting expanding further than it ever had before and putting that into living rooms across the country. And that was... That was something that we all got to to own stake in because we were there at that time doing those things and, you know, those successes became ours. And uh, that's it's literally the, you know, probably the apex of my childhood were those days and those memories. Uh, and, you know, you look back at it and you don't have any of those but for what Bob Knight was doing uh, over here in Bloomington. We'll leave it there. Uh, this has been Mind Your Banners for November 2nd, 2023. We'll be back this weekend uh, talking some basketball exhibition, possibly some football game. 
Um, but obviously, and, and I think uh, aiming to have somebody, a uh, special guest on maybe tomorrow to talk about the 2013 baseball reunion, which will be this weekend. That that team is, if not in in its entirety getting back together, it's, it's going to be something like 98, 99% attendance at that reunion. And we're hoping to get somebody on to talk about that as well. Um, but for now, he's Chronic Hoosier. I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.